Welcome back, proud bookworms, to the podcast that celebrates everything your book-loving soul desires. I'm Frances Everly, romance and fantasy romance author and bookworm extraordinaire, otherwise known as The Bookworm Unleashed. This week I'm discussing um, Engaging Opal by indie author MJ Marino. It is a biker romance, an MC romance, and it is hot. But just to put it out there, there are some trigger warnings with this book and thus with today's podcast. So just to be aware, there are discussions of sexual violence, pedophilia, rape, murder, and abuse, and gaslighting. So if you are sensitive to any of those topics, I do suggest turning off this podcast and waiting for next week's. Now, can you believe that January is almost over? I'm coming up to February and I've got so much happening. As an author, I have a book signing event where in Kansas City where I'm going to be signing books and flying down for it from Toronto. So I'm quite excited to be attending Flirty in Kansas City. It's my first international book signing. And not my last, but as such, for the month of February, I will be taking about a two-week break as of February 8th and returning with a brand new podcast for you on March 1st. That is two weeks, my friends. I don't know what to tell you. But March is promising to be yet another exciting month for us as well here on the Bookworm Unleashed, as we will be joined by our very first guest host. Stay tuned for more information on that in the coming episodes. Now, back to Engaging Opal. When I came across this book, I've been seeing it all over Instagram and TikTok, but the what made me buy it was the latest video that I saw on TikTok uh, posted by the author, MJ Marino. It caught my attention and made me go, hmm, I think I want to check it out. So if you're not already following her, I highly suggest it. This book is hot. The sex scenes had me going, but I also had a few moments where I was going, hmm. (laughs) Anyway, we start off with some creepy vibes here. I was almost ready to put this book down at the very beginning just because this main character uh, was so creepy. I'm so glad that he was actually turned out to be a side character. He is the nemesis, the stalker. He is creepy as all get out. And I'm <laughs> so glad that he, again, that he was not the main characters. He is in the midst of tracking down the objects of his obsession. That would be a young Olena Allred, a 14-year-old girl who was manipulated, gaslit, and 
emotionally abused by her mother's boyfriend until she eventually gave in and started giving him what he wanted most. Her. Her body. Her soul. And what he considered to be her heart. Now, as a 14-year-old girl, I don't know about you guys, but I could kind of understand where Olina's coming from. As myself, I did not look 14 when I was 14. So I can kind of see how some people would have looked at her and saw an adult. It sucks <laughs> sometimes when you have to tell people, no, I'm 14, sorry. I'm so glad those days are over. <laughs> Anyway, because she did not look her age, I think that kind of fueled his desires for her and what caught his interest to begin with. He did all kinds of things to her, um, which I'm not going to go into graphic detail because they, some of the descriptions honestly made me want to puke. But that had nothing to do with the writing itself or the story just on his motivations and what he did. I could not stomach that. But I'm I'm glad for the ending. Now, Opal, sorry, Olina, when she is 17, has had enough. She's terrified, she's depressed, and she doesn't want to be used like this anymore by her mother's boyfriend. Being the product of rape herself and abused by her mother her entire life, she's got nothing to hold her to her home. No family that she wants to be with. Nothing. She has been more the parent in her family than her only parent. Done with all of it. She's 17, and she runs away from home. I can't say that I blame her. I would, too, given those circumstances. But what kills me is that nobody ever deals with their trauma in any healthy way at the beginning of this book. Her mother was raped and was impregnated as uh, an effect of that. And instead of dealing with her trauma, took it out on her daughter and abused alcohol. And her daughter, to deal with her trauma, hides. She hides within herself. She does not come out of her shell. She is a very introverted person. And when she runs away from home, she manages to survive. So she is very introverted, but she is a survivor. And I've got to applaud that. Because this was not an easy circumstance. I'm sure a lot of people would have probably broken down and returned home or reached out for some kind of help after a few couple short months on the streets. She survives. And not only does she survive, she manages to get out of the shelters. She finds herself a job. She gets herself an apartment things like that. So she's she's not doing well for herself, but she's not living on the streets. She's not homeless. 
She doesn't have much to her name. And because of that, when a stripper comes into her diner one day, this is, I think, three years after she, no, maybe five years after she's run away from home. So she's an adult now, you guys. She's not 17 anymore when this happens. She is 22. Almost 22. I think she was 21. But that's not the point. Anyway, she's working in a diner when a stripper comes in, eyes her up and down over her coffee, and makes her an offer that Alina, who has now changed her name to Opal, turns down originally. She has no desire to be a stripper. Like I said, she's an introvert. And she quickly changes her mind when she realizes that the only way she is going to get ahead in any kind of way and not be living hand to mouth for the rest of her life is to take a chance. So she does. She becomes a waitress in a strip club. And a couple things are going well for her. She is getting amazing tips in this strip club. And she's putting up with all kinds of crap from the patrons and from the strip club's owner. Who is a giant womanizing sleazeball. Ugh, I can just picture him as being greasy and smarmy. <laughs> anyway, he manages to convince her or rather threaten her, into getting onto the stage and stripping. As I'm sure has happened to many, many women before her who are seeking a better life and are desperate. Now, in Opal's case, her debut on the strip pole leads to love at first sight. I wanted to cheer for this, but I was also like, hmm, what's going to happen here? Midway through her routine, she locks eyes with the VP, the vice president of the MC Ravens Bikers and freezes. She freezes and her boss flips out and tries to beat her on stage in front of his patrons. Like I said, sleazeball. I wish somebody had put a bullet in him. Oh, wait. <laughs> that happens later in the book. But we don't get to see it. Sadly. I can't help but picture Opie from Sons of Anarchy in this position. I love that guy. Have you ever seen that show? Anyway, she locks eyes with him and freezes. And he comes to her rescue. He saves her from the sleaze ball, And... His crew <laughs> robs the strip club. But instead of accepting the money that they have taken on her behalf from this sleaze ball, she gives a giant chunk of it to her fellow strippers to give them a chance to get out of this life. She is selfless to a fault, you guys. Oh, the heart on her is huge. And then she's given the option 
to stay behind in Utah and keep trying to fork out a life for herself there while still hiding from her mother's boyfriend in the hopes that he never finds her or go with the MC Ravens. I think we all know what direction Opal went in here. And that's right, she hopped on that bike and she took everything she owned with her. The MC Ravens took her to Colorado, where she is surrounded and protected by these bikers. But these bikers are not what you would think. They are not the ragtag, womanizing sleaze balls that you would expect of a potential biker to be. And to cl- clarify, by biker, I mean <laughs> gangs, bike gangs. I'm not talking your average person who just likes to ride their bikes and does charity work and things like that. These bikers, instead of gun running, like in Sons of Anarchy or dealing in drugs, make their money in a very noble way. They are former Navy SEALs, turned mercenaries, and have created a security company. And by security, I'm putting that in quotations because they're not providing security. They are hacking. They are assassinating. They are tracking people down, finding lost people, and ending human trafficking, and child abuse wherever they can. They are noble bikers, and I like that. I am here for that, and this is exactly what Opal needs. She needs a group of very strong, powerful men to protect her, or to, sorry, not to protect her, because we are all capable of protecting ourselves, but to Give her that sense of safety that she is craving, that she needs after being abused for so many years and then on the run. And her relationship with the VP of the MC Ravens, Gage, has progressed and gotten quite spicy. He hasn't officially claimed her as his old lady, but... (laughs) He's stubborn and taking it slow with her. She gave him her virginity, which I was very surprised at, um, that she was still a virgin given the abuse that she was suffering. And I thought it strange when she mentioned that she had never had vaginal sex. She was very specific about that. So that just gives you some idea of what her abuser was putting her through. It takes several months for Opal to be comfortable enough with Gage to tell him what kind of abuse she suffered. He knows that she was abused as a child, but he doesn't understand what exactly happened to her or who did it. And the who is something that she takes almost to the grave. But she tells him, and she also tells him, some of the abuser's characteristics, that he's eight years older than her, 
just like Gage's, and that he had brown hair, just like Gage did, but that they had different colored eyes. So Gage has green eyes and her abuser had brown. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? There's a lot of similarities here between Gage and her abuser. And Gage notices that as well, but Opal doesn't. And it has Gage feeling sick to his stomach, especially after he looks at a picture of her from when she was 14 and not realizing that it was a picture of her as a child. He Because, like I mentioned earlier, she looked like a grown woman at that age. And he, being a man in love <laughs> and horny, sexualized her image in that picture and felt sick to his stomach when she pointed out that she was only 14, that that was an old picture. And it's for that reason that he decides that he needs to break up with her because there's too many similarities between him and her abuser, including that he just sexualized an image of her from when she was 14. So he comes up with this horrible plan. He starts pushing her away and ignoring her, spending time more and more away from her. And when that doesn't work... He uses one of her competitors within the MCs, one of the bunnies, the women that uh, hang out with the bikers and live with them and provide for their sexual needs when they want it. Um, he takes her and makes Opal believe that he is having a resuming his sexual relationship with this bunny. Specifically, this bunny. This bunny who has been uh, <laughs> taunting her and discriminating against her and bullying her from the moment that Opal arrived within, with the MCs. Because she is jealous of Opal's position with the VP. But this poor bunny feels bad about it. It's making her sick to her stomach. She starts being nice to Opal. And avoiding her and spending as much time as she can away from everybody. Because she feels so guilty for allowing him to rope her into this stupid scheme of his to push Opal away. Can't say that I blame her. I, I wanted to smack him so bad. But also I was a little bit creeped out with the sim similarities. I don't think we needed that, to be honest. It was just too much. It made me wonder if she was, if Opal in her mind somehow was unconsciously selecting a man who resembled her abuser. But that's, I'm not a psychologist. That's not for me to decide, debate, or talk about it. And by pushing Opal away, he has caused a rift within the Brotherhood, within the MC, because they all love Opal and love that he's with her and is so much in love and they are supporting him. But when he does this, they can't sit by and let him be a jackass. They all weigh in on it. And one of his members, one of his brothers, 
who he has suspected of being enamored with Opal, offers her his bed to sleep in. Let's just clarify here. He is sleeping on a cot in the dirty, grimy basement of this house while she sleeps in his bunk. And it drives Gage mad. Absolutely mad. He storms through the house yelling and shouting and calling for her to find to make sure that she is still there. And when he finds her in another man's bed, he goes completely Oh, God, I can't say the word I want to say. He goes ballistic. And he starts beating on his friend. (laughs) And then his best friend, who happens to be the president of the MC, manages to calm him down enough for people to explain why she's in that bed. When he's calmed down, the president, Atlas drags him out of there to talk to him. Find out what's going on with him and get to the root of his issues here. And Gage reluctantly tells him everything Opal told him and then explains his reasons for why he pushed her away, why he decided he needed to cut things off with her. And thank you, Atlas, for talking some sense into this man (laughs) because he flat out tells Gage that he is being an idiot. And he points out to, to Gage exactly why he's being an idiot. The very fact that when he found out that she was 14 in that picture that had made him so sick was that he was different from her abuser because he was sick with himself. Whereas her abuser managed to get into her life by (laughs) creating this relationship with her mother. Who apparently was also older than him. Gage and this abuser are very different people. Very different personalities. They might have some similarities like age and hair color, but that is it. Now, there are some other things that got a little bit confusing for me, but that's my own fault, not the author's, because I read this book as a standalone, and it's not. It's actually the fourth book in a series. So things were a little bit confusing for me for certain things. I also felt the timeline was very dragged out, So this book is happening over a two-year period, and it jumps month to month, and I got a little bit lost, but not so much that it made me want to put the book down. I was still addicted to it. I was just had a few moments where I was like, huh, I guess I should have read those other books. Anyway, we find out, or rather, Gage finds out. That Alina's abuser, sorry, Opal's abuser, not only was he her mother's boyfriend, 
But he's a man in a position of authority, somebody who would be able to track her down if he ever found out where she might be or if she ever used her real name, things like that. Which leads Gage to suspect that he is a man with some kind of power. He is in some kind of authority here. And yes, he is. This sick bastard (laughs) happens to be an FBI agent. And he has been assigned to Opal's case as a missing child. He has been searching for her and using FBI resources to try and track her down for years. With minor successes... When he has gotten close to her, he has always been too late. Until this point. See, Opal decides, after getting back together with Gage, that she wants to get her GED. She wants to open her own business. She wants to be a baker. She wants to go to culinary school and pursue this dream of hers because it is something that she loves to do. And because she enrolls in for GED, she has to make a request for her high school transcripts. And because she does that, it alerts the FBI that her files have been requested, accessed, whatever. And it gives her abuser some idea of where to look for her. He knows she's with the MC Ravens because he discovered mere hours after she left town, that she was working in a strip club. And the sleazeball boss told him that she left with some bikers who had birds on their cuts. So now with some information on her potential location, her schooling's all online, so she's never actually at the school facilities. And the address she provided was a fake address, which happened to be the future headquarters for the MC Ravens. Was still a construction site, though, at that point. And because that was a dead end, it still gave him some idea of where to look for her. And what crew, which biker gang, she might be with. So he does some digging of his own. And he discovers that the VP of this biker gang is known as Gage. He's a former Navy SEAL, and he brings up his files, and he looks more and more into this group who happen to have more power and more connections than he could dream of as an FBI agent. So he contrives a plan to get her back. He tries everything. He drives down to her site, to her, which at this point has now been uh, constructed. The headquarters has been constructed at this site and the bikers have moved into it. So he is driving down there to see if he can find her. And just when he gets there, she decides to go out for the mail. She is accompanied by another biker, but because there's no immediate threat that they're aware of, the biker's not paying too close of of attention. 
until Alina. Sorry, I keep calling her Alina, but she changed her name to Opal. Opal start notices this man who has called her name from this nondiscreet car in the middle of the street. They're in the middle of the nowhere. And she immediately goes into shock. She passes out. The biker catches her before she hits the ground. And her abuser takes off in the car before the biker can get a very good look at him. Everyone immediately freaks out and comes to the realization of what must have happened. Her abuser has found her after seven years on the run. They immediately go into protective mode, semi-lockdown, not complete lockdown, because they don't want to give away everything that they know. Frustrated with not being able to take her with him, her abuser concocts a plan. A dark one. He follows Gage. He stalks Gage. And he steals a coffee cup with Gage's DNA on it. And then he plants it at her mother's apartment. And murders Opal's mother. He chokes her to death. As you've guessed it, his plan is to frame Gage for her murder. And while it works to some extent... It is not foolproof, because Gage is able to prove he was not even anywhere near Utah. He was hours away on an investigation for something else. He is on camera at several different points, and he is able to tell them exactly where and when they can find footage of him. The hotel, the coffee shop across the street on the corner, things like that. He even gives them the name of the missing person that he was able to locate, who thankfully had a happy ending to that story, as that missing person, missing girl, was actually not missing after all. She ran away from her parents to hide her pregnancy and live with her boyfriend. I don't see anything too terrible in that. Back to Opal and Gage. Because Gage is able to prove that he was not in these areas or anywhere near Opal's mother's apartment, he didn't even know where she lived um, until they told told him during their interviews. But... Guess who's sitting right across from him? An FBI agent with brown hair around his age of about 30 years old who is extremely hostile towards Gage and completely pissed off that Gage was able to explain his whereabouts but could not explain how a coffee cup with his DNA ended up in her mother's apartment. Of course, the FBI conducted their own investigation and were able to determine several hours later that Gage was telling the truth. 
He was nowhere near Opal's mother's place, and he was able to prove it. And so they had to let him go. But because of this, when Gage returns and discloses the reason he was arrested to Opal, she breaks down and finally tells him the name of her abuser. FBI agent Levi Grayson, who, guess what, happens to be the FBI agent that was getting hostile with Gage during the questioning period. He is trying to frame Gage unsuccessfully. Now that they know the identity of her abuser and that he is still obsessed and stalking her and that he knows where she is and she is no longer safe, they decide, the MCs decide to come up with a plan to get rid of him. But Opal does not like the idea of eliminating him. She wants him to go to jail. The MCs don't like this, but they agree with it because it's her choice. She comes forward and files a complaint with the FBI. She files charges gives her statement, all that stuff, names him even in all of this. And unfortunately, when she does that, Lieutenant Grayson's partner calls him disgusted and asks him if it's true. So he inadvertently gives Grayson a heads up that this is coming down the line. So that he does not get surprised when he walks into the FBI office the next day and gets arrested. Like he should have been. No, instead, because he's got a heads up, Grayson takes everything from his apartment that could possibly link him to Olena, sorry, Opal, and to her mother. He take he gets rid of his cell phone that changes out the SIM cards. He takes files and files and files of Opal's uh, missing children's case files. And he's even got money saved up, cash in a bag. He's got fake passports, new identities, clothes for him and Opal. And he packs his car up and drives out of town. He goes into hiding. He changes the plates on his car. He knows everything that a criminal might do to hide their identities when they go on the run. (laughs) Nobody can track him down. He has been on the run for months. And in the meantime, Opal and Gage are getting on with their lives. They're engaged. They're planning a wedding. She starts a business and starts handing out business cards throughout the town. And this ends up being a stupid move. Because Levi finds one of these cards and makes a mysterious order for six dozen macadamia nut cookies. Now, because she's been finally getting some help to deal with her childhood traumas, Opal is able to suppress any 
negative emotions that might have come with an order like that because she used to make macadamia nut cookies every single night for none other than FBI agent Levi Grayson. It was one of the things that she did for him because she was craving the affection of a parent. And because she'd never had a true parent in her life, she didn't know what that relationship would entail. So she thought at the time that it was all normal. It wasn't until later when things progressed in their relationship that she realized it was wrong and she didn't like it and didn't want it anymore. But she swallows down that trauma and she makes those six dozen cookies right after trying to make a baby with Gage. They want to start a family and they are going at it like rabbits. Like I said, the sex scenes in this book are ho ho. They are hot, they are steamy, and they are another way of showing Opal's progress through her therapy in her healing. There is no name on this order, which is suspicious to me, but there is an address. So when she goes to deliver these cookies, her dear fiancé Gage comes with her because there is no way he's letting her out of his sight. In fact, she has a GPS tracker in her bracelet that he gave her and he has one embedded under his skin just in case something were to happen and Opal goes missing or he goes missing because of this guy, this sicko. They drive out happily discussing their future and what they want for their family, and things like that. It's a normal day for them making a delivery in the middle of nowhere to a house that is suspiciously empty. The curtains are all drawn. There's no lights on. There's nothing to indicate that anybody's been there in a month. Red flags are being thrown up here everywhere. Gage immediately suspects that this is a setup and tells Opal to go back to the car. But it's too late. You guessed it. Levi manages to come out of the woodwork and he's got a knife on Opal. He forces Gage to drop his gun and threatens to hurt Opal if he tries anything. Gage is helpless at this point. He wants to save her. He's trying to talk Levi down. He is using all of his skills as a negotiator to do this. And he manages, and somehow Levi manages to convince Opal to take his gun and shoot Gage herself. So she takes, she does, she takes Levi's gun. But she hates violence. She does not shoot Gage because she loves him. But she does not shoot Levi because, like I said, she hates violence. And she is terrified out of her mind. So what does she do? She runs into the mountains. She runs as fast as she can. She falls a couple of times and loses the gun. 
unfortunately, but she manages to get away. Levi chases after her, and Gage grabs his gun and chases after Levi, all the while shouting for her to keep going, to run, to hide. Gage manages to catch up to Opal and hide with her, but unfortunately Levi does find them. And just as he's about to kill Gage, guess who comes to the rescue? That's right, the MC Ravens. Opal manages to talk Gage out of killing Levi, and Gage and Opal leave. They leave, but the MCs don't. And instead of killing Levi... They use some psychological manipulation of their own to convince him to end himself. Agent Grayson's able to dish it out, but he is not able to take it, it seems. (laughs) So he ends himself. And the MCs hide all evidence of their own participation in this wonderful event. Opal and Gage manage to move on and live happily ever after. They get married and (laughs) discover that they are having a baby. Like I said, a very happy ending. I thoroughly enjoyed engaging Opal and I might have to read the rest of the series for the MC Ravens. MJ Marino, you did a fabulous job. And that brings us to the end, my friends. Thank you for joining me on this fantastic and sexy adventure. I am Frances Everly, and this is The Bookworm Unleashed. Have a great February, guys.